initially uh, it it might be uh, it might seem like a daunting task because 10k's are typically hundreds of pages long and uh, so you may find it a little difficult to get into this process of reading 10k's but uh, as with any any other craft with practice uh, it becomes a lot easier over time um, important things in 10k's will just sort of uh, jump out at you Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. This is Hora, Stalker CEO and founder. And today I am sharing with you a pre-recorded episode that I recorded a few weeks ago with a very special guest. You may know him from Twitter. His handle on Twitter is 10K Diver and is one of the most loved and followed Twitter personalities in the financial or the so-called FinTwit space. Tanke Diner is a computer scientist. He has almost no formal training in finance investing, which is a surprise if you look at the quality of his content and the depth of the knowledge he has about investing in finance. He's passionately curious about these subjects and he's been following his curiosity for many years now to learn investing from Warren Buffett writings, the several books on the subject, YouTube videos, podcasts, etc. 10K Diver's goal is to help many people, as many investors and retail investors as possible, to learn these complex financial um, and investing uh, topics in a simple way uh, without all of the jargons. To that end, he has a Twitter account, as I told you, at 10K Diver, uh, which is followed by many people, as I told you, more than 100,000 followers on Twitter and rapidly um, growing. And uh, he has a, a social podcast as well via the call-in app called Money Concept. Uh, that he uses to share and simplify these complex financial investing topics to their basic and easy to understand fundamentals. And uh, with this goal um, of helping uh, each other and every other retail investors and individual investors out there, he's been able to help many investors like you and I in their pursuit of better investment decisions. I hope you enjoyed this pre-recorded episode and uh, without further ado, let's just jump in. The very first question I want to get into today is that what is the story behind Tanked Diver? Why did you come up with this name? And uh, what's sort of like the story that our, our you know, stock guardians would probably love to understand? What is the background there? So I'm a computer scientist. I don't have any formal training in finance or investing or anything like that. But as I was growing up, uh, my dad, uh, who does a lot of things in investing, uh, he inculcated in me the importance of uh, saving and investing and um, uh, prudent money management in, in general. And uh, so when I uh, came over to the US, I got some of those ideas with me. And uh, for since, since about 2011 or something like that, I have been trying to learn the fundamentals of uh, finance and investing uh, sort of on my own because I don't have any formal training in, in these areas. And um, I've been lurking on Twitter for uh, quite a while now, actually. And uh, uh, so 
Twitter, there are uh, Twitter is this huge social network, and there are uh, many sort of sub components of Twitter. There is uh, politics Twitter, and then there's there's FinTwit, the finance Twitter. Uh, then there are there, there are Twitter accounts devoted to sports and and so on. And as I was lurking on Twitter, I started noticing that uh, the the FinTwit community uh, was becoming something very special over time. There were lots of uh, uh, very accomplished investors. Uh, they were sharing uh, all kinds of uh, uh, very valuable insights and so on. They were forming very deep, meaningful relationships. And I felt that with my background, uh, which is not in finance or investing, I could contribute because I could help people understand the fundamentals uh, without getting too much into the jargon or something like that. In a, in a simple way, using simple language and simple examples, uh, I could help people understand the fundamental concepts. And so that's why I started this Twitter account. And when I started the account, I was uh, searching for a name. So one uh, one important uh, thing when you're looking for a name is uh, first uh, the, the website uh, URL has to be available um, uh, because I'm not interested in paying someone $100,000 to acquire the rights to a website or something like that. Um, then there are... Uh, uh, the, the name has to be short, it has to be easy to remember and so on. And uh, uh, it, it also helps uh, if, if the name shows up at the top of uh, various alphabetical rankings and things like that. Uh, so if you, if you had a name that started with a number one, uh, that, that, uh, that, would, that might meet some of these requirements. And uh, so since I like reading 10Ks, uh, I thought 10K Diver might, might be a good name. <laughs> and so I started my Twitter account under under this name. Wow, I love it. And it's just the amount of foresight you've had in just choosing the name, it's mind boggling. And I gotta tell you a little story before we jump into the rest of the thing. So when we started the stock cards, we were only we were only focusing on our stocks. That's why the company called Stock Card. And then when we started expanding to ETFs, then we were thinking about, okay, now should we do ETF cards or not? Or is it under a stock card? We decided to do a stock, stay a stock card. And now we're expanding so, so it's not so secret, but we're expanding to crypto and we want to launch crypto cards. But I was checking cryptocard.io and cryptocard.com. And then just like you said, somebody wants a couple of thousand dollars to just sell that to us. And I'm like, I should have had that foresight early on to kind of like have this thing that is just comprehensive, but it's, um, I should have had you as a consultant when we started the company and asked <laughs> ask you, how do we name this thing? And you know, where, what URL do we need to buy? Anyway, but well, I, I had a little bit of help from, um, from Brad Stone's uh, wonderful book about Amazon. So when Jeff Bezos was trying to find a name for Amazon, uh, the, the story goes that uh, initially he was thinking about names that involved books because Amazon was a bookseller. But, sure. but even then he didn't want to limit himself to just books. And, and so he chose a name that, that was generic, uh, the, the, the longest river in the world or something like that. And so that, that can apply to uh, selling virtually any product. So when you choose a name, one of the important things is you shouldn't box yourself too much into a corner. And uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I had this insight from Jeff Bezos. Oh, that's awesome. And what is the book called? Do you remember the name? We gotta put it down. Uh, I think it's called The Everything's Chore. Oh, everything star. Oh, it's on my to-do list to read. That's super cool. Everything star. I wrote it down and then we'll put a link to it in the show notes and things like that for, for the sock guardians to, to, um, 
to basically have an access to. But that's good. That's a little bit of like an off, um, off of the main path of this podcast or this this uh, this YouTube conversation. But uh, but yeah, I really love that you did have that foresight. It speaks to your quality as an investor, your quality of your thought process as an investor. You have this foresight of like looking at it long term. So I really love that story. Um, Thank you very much. Yeah, and that's why we have you on this podcast. It is uh, this YouTube. Um, well, so let's talk about tankies. Obviously, um, if for, for our audience and for people who are watching, if they don't know what 10K is, maybe we want to do a quick introduction to what 10K is. And then maybe we dig into why did you even start reading 10Ks? What is the importance of 10K reading 10Ks and have the ability of reading through 10Ks? And why not just like use other tools that have summarizing all this ten, this information for him. Why does an investor need to have the ability to be able to read uh, 10Ks? Right. Uh, so the first part of that question is, uh, what is a 10K? So every publicly traded company in the US uh, has to file certain documents with the SEC uh, every year and every quarter and, and so on. So every year, um, every publicly traded company has to file this document called 10K with the SEC. And uh, the 10K is basically an annual report. Uh, it will contain a lot of information about what happened in that business over the last year, uh, what its financials were, uh, how much money it made, and uh, uh, how, how, what were its cash flows and earnings, and uh, how, how much it had in assets, and, and so on. Um, it will also contain some general information about the uh, company, like what it does, uh, what are the products it develops, and uh, how it manages its worldwide operations if it has those, and, and things like that. So uh, a 10K is something like a, a one-stop shop for uh, a lot of information about the company. And uh, I belong to the school of thought that uh, if you invest in a company, you should at least know what it's doing and you should know some basic information about it. And uh, a 10K is uh, sort of one place to get all that information uh, fairly easily. Uh, now it's true that there are lots of other uh, tools to get that information, um, but there is something to be said for uh, going straight to the uh, horse's mouth. Uh, so when you want to get some information, go, go to the fundamental source, the root source of the information and get it from there uh, rather than relying on other people to sort of read this information and summarize it for you in a way that you may or may not uh, quite agree with. Uh, so it's important to be able to uh, read 10 case uh, just for that reason, uh, to, to be able to get the information from the horse's mouth. Uh, and also... Cultivating the ability to read 10Ks uh, quickly. So initially, uh, it it might be uh, it might seem like a daunting task because 10Ks are typically hundreds of pages long, and uh, so you may find it a little difficult to get into this process of reading 10Ks. But uh, as with any any other craft, with practice, uh, it becomes a lot easier over time. Um, important things in 10Ks will just sort of uh, jump out at you. And this process of reading 10Ks and reading uh, not just the financial statements, but the little notes to the financial statements at the end, you will find all kinds of nuggets in a 10K that you typically don't find in, in many other sources like analyst uh, uh, reports about the company and, and things like that. 
Uh, so so that, that's why people should read 10Ks before investing in companies. Yeah, I love it. Even though a stock card is one of those, one of the services that a stock card offer in our platform is basically summarizing the information that is available on 10K. But I absolutely agree with you. The investor needs to have the ability to know where to get the data and no platform can provide all the information you want. And sometimes you get some information maybe from software or Yahoo Finance or whoever or analysts, things like that. But then you want to look at it on a historical basis. You need to be able to compare it or maybe you want to verify it. And uh, I think just digesting 10K and understanding how the companies present themselves, it says one of those must-have abilities for investors to gain. And even if they choose to like use any other tool later on to collect their information, the ability to knowing where this information coming from and how to read it, I think it's fundamental to good investors' um, success. So Right, absolutely. So a stock, stock card is a great tool. I, I really uh, like using it. And um, there, there are a few other tools that I use as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're all great to get a quick summary of the company. Uh, but before one actually goes and invests into a company, I think it's a good idea to uh, read the 10K. Um, so you can use the summary as a, as a way to sort of shortlist companies to decide which 10Ks to read and, and so on. Mm-hmm. But before actually making the step to investing in a company, it's, it's a good idea to go and read the source documents. I agree with you. And I, even as a founder of a stock card, I sometimes go to read 10Ks, uh, especially after I verify, like I get an idea and verify some things, then I really want to put a big amount of money in a company. I'll certainly go and take it, like verify some of this stuff on 10K or the company, like the presentations the company actually add to their investor relations, let's say. So, um, I mean, let's just jump in into a little bit more detail because we want to to kind of like make it more as practical as possible for people who are watching. Um, as you said, 10K documents have several play, like sections and uh, some of them comes to, to hundreds and hundreds of pages. So that at the beginning, it may feel a little bit more sort of um, uh, not frustrating, but like intimidating, I guess that's the word I'm looking for, intimidating to look at these documents. So for, from your point of view, if you want to simplify it to the, the one piece of information or one section of information on 10Ks that you would say it's the must go to, um, what is that one section and why? And then right after that, we want to jump in to kind of do some examples so that people can actually really understand it. But let's focus on what is that one place that you always go to and why? Uh, right. So 10Ks typically have, uh, uh, you know, four or five important sections. One is uh, the description of the business. The second one is uh, the risk factors. Um, then some 10Ks have um, information about uh, the directors and officers of the company and, and things like that. Um, then there are the financial statements and the notes to the financial statements. Uh, then there's typically a section where the management of the company discusses uh, the financial statements. Um, uh, so, so there are uh, all these uh, different se- sections in the 10K and each serves an important role. Uh, but if, you, if I had to, if you told me, if you gave me a 10K and told me you're allowed to read only one section in this 10K, which one will you read? Uh, I think I will pick the financial statements. Um, so simply because uh, I'm, I'm uh, more familiar with numbers. I'm a numbers guy. And uh, 
you know, talk is cheap, uh, but but numbers <laughs> are uh, hard hard to. Uh, Anyway. Well, uh, uh, yeah. it's uh, so, so numbers are uh, are much more solid to me. So, so I would probably pick the financial statements as the must-read section of a 10K. Although this is a very difficult choice. Right, it is, it is a difficult choice. But also, you're right. Like the the summaries and the 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 sections that they have text, they can fluff it up, right? And we've seen it. You know, we can talk about it later on. Like we've seen companies. Uh, actually, let me step back. A couple of years ago, I was a judge at this um, uh, program in my school that I did my MBA. Uh, and I was a judge and the program was uh, people like a master's students would do research on uh, different topics related to a disclosure by public companies. And there was this one particular research that I remember, I clearly remember reading through it. I was very fascinated by was this guy was comparing positive words and negative words in the 10K disclosures or 10K document with um, if the companies who, who were bankrupt or there was fraud in them. So let's say it took like Enron and then looked at the very, very last few um, 10K documents that they published and then tried to figure out whether the tone of the text has changed over the course of quarters as they get closer or annual annual return annual um, um, basically reports closer to that fraud event of fraud when the fraud came out right and then it went repeated for bankruptcies and all other like negative stuff from his stocks and what it realized is that you would not see any negative indicators that this company is going to go bankrupt or this company going to go um uh, there's a fraud issue in there until the announcement even the one last um announcement like official document that they're publishing before the event of a fraud or event of um um of like bankruptcy it was a still a positive tone <laughs> so when i was saying right. that, you, had, you could fluff it up so well but you probably if you go through the numbers you would see like the revenue is going down or the margin is going or debt is going like you would see those indicators but the tone the words and verbs were all positive until the last event which was the actual fluff actual event right so it is, it's all sunshine and rainbows uh, <laughs> up until uh, the the steep fall from the cliff exactly exactly so it, that's why I, I think you made a really really good choice uh, to just just jump into actual numbers harder to fluff it up. So. Uh, right, exactly. So there's this guy called uh, Howard Schillick. Um, he he's written this wonderful book called Financial Shenanigans, where uh, he he takes some of these uh, uh, companies, uh, Enron and WorldCom and other other companies that later turned out to be frauds, basically, and uh, he uh, shows how some of these companies. Uh, fudge their financials and uh, how, how you can, uh, if, if you have a good eye for the numbers, you can actually see through this, uh, this sort of information by going through uh, just the financial statements in the, in the 10K. Oh, nice. Financial shenanigans. I've got to add that right. to the list. That's super cool. Awesome. Well, uh, that's a good uh, segue into getting it started to asking you to just kind of like walk us through one example of the financial section on the 10k of your choice and i'm going to make you a host because i believe we're recording on zoom and you may not be a host here but i'm going to make you a host and then uh, as i do that what is the company that you would want to 
uh, uses an example to show us um, that financial segment or so section of the 10K. Uh, so I'd like to use Home Depot as an example. Uh, it's a large, uh, a well-known public company. Uh, and uh, probably if, if uh, a lot of us in the US, uh, uh, we, we've been inside a Home Depot and, and so on. Um, so uh, I, I'd like to use Home Depot as an example to illustrate a few concepts uh, that, that you can get just by reading the financial statements section of the 10K. I think that's a really good choice. Let's do it. It's one of the only companies that we've been able to compete with Amazon and not go down with the rise of Amazon. So it's definitely a really good example to take a look at. Right. Uh, they're, they're one of the very few uh, re retailers who have um, uh, been able to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe against Amazon. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, am I the host now? Can I share content? Yes, you're the host. Go ahead. Okay, perfect. Okay, so uh, th this is uh, Home Depot's uh, 10K, and uh, uh, th th this is the, the latest uh, 10K that they put out. And uh, it, it's got about uh, 83 pages or, or some, something like that. And um, so if I, if I just pull up an overview of all these pages, uh, th these are all the various things in the, in the 10K. And so we are going to be looking at only one section of the 10K. So that's going to be the financial statements. So that, that begins on page number 43 over, over here. So uh, th this is uh, essentially Home, Home Depot's uh, balance sheet which is one, one of the key financial statements of the company. So uh, one thing I like to do when I look at a 10K is uh, uh, to first figure out, okay, how much capital uh, does a company need to conduct its operations? And how much money does the company earn on that capital uh, every year? So th th this is some, uh, something that's very, very fundamental about a company. How, mu how much money does it need to, how, uh, how, how much assets and other uh, resources does it need to have and how much does it earn on those assets? Um, so if you look at Home Depot's uh, 10K over here, um, it, it's got about uh, $70.5 billion in assets. If you, if you just follow uh, what I'm circling over here, it, it's got about uh, 70.5 billion dollars in, in total assets. So that, that's how much Home Depot needs to uh, conduct its operations, say. Uh, but of course, all these assets, they don't come uh, from the owners of Home Depot. So typically what happens is uh, there are three different sources of capital that all add up to this uh, $70.5 uh, billion. So one important source of capital is just debt. The, the money that Home Depot has uh, borrowed um, uh, from, from creditors uh, in, in the market. Uh, so if you look at Home Depot, Home Depot's debt, uh, there are actually two components of debt. There is the debt that is due in the next one year, which is about $1.4 billion. And then there is this long-term debt, which is about uh, $35.8 billion. So uh, of the $70.5 billion in assets, we have about um, you know, may maybe 30, 30, uh, $37 billion or something like that um, from, from debt. So that is one source of capital. Uh, the, the second source of uh, capital is uh, equity. 
this is actually the money that belongs to the owners of Home Depot. How much money have the owners uh, put up of the 70.5 billion in assets that Home Depot has? How much of it uh, has been put up by the owners as opposed to being uh, borrowed money or something like that? And that is this figure right here, this $3.2 billion or $3.3 billion nearly. So this $3.3 billion, uh, that is the uh, equity of the company. Um, so, so we have $37 billion of debt and $3.3 billion in equity. That adds up to about uh, uh, $40 billion or thereabouts. Um, and uh, so the remaining uh, part, so, so we had 70 billion in assets and about 40 billion or something like that in equities and uh, uh, in equity and debt. So uh, the, the remaining 30 billion roughly uh, that uh, comes from uh, th things like uh, 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 that comes from float and float in the, in the case of Home Depot is basically things like, um, you know, uh, accounts payable and uh, 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 deferred taxes and, and uh, th things like that, uh, basically. So uh, this is how uh, the assets of the company uh, are sort of broken down into um, uh, equity, debt, and flow. So I just like to understand, okay, so Home Depot as a company, it, it's got this much in assets. Uh, um, now, now the second question is, okay, it's got all these assets. Uh, how much does Home Depot earn on these assets every year? And, and for that, you have to go to the next uh, financial then um, uh, uh, next next kind of financial statement which is which is basically uh, the the income statement and the cash flow statement um, so for example uh, the, the, this is uh, home depot's income statement and you can see that uh, in in 2020 uh, they had they reported income of about uh, 12.8 billion dollars or roughly 13 billion dollars so essentially uh, they had about $13 billion in, in income and they earned this income on about uh, $70 billion in assets as we saw. So roughly speaking, uh, they are able to earn about, uh, let's say 13 divided by 70 uh, times 100. That's about 18.57%. Uh, so this is about uh, an 18.57% uh, return on the assets of the company. So they, if, if they have um, uh, they have 70 billion and they're able to earn uh, roughly 13 billion on it each year. Uh, and this, this is a very, very uh, good rate of return on, on the uh, assets of the company. So that, that is something I, I like to uh, look at when, uh, when analyzing a company. Um, then uh, the third thing is, um, uh, there's this very important concept that earnings are not always the same as cash flows. So just because a company earns $1, it does not mean that the owners of the company can take $1 out of that company. Um, so for example, Home, Home Depot is kind of a growing company. If you just look at the uh, sales of the company, it's growing from, uh, in 2018, the sales were 108 billion. And then in 2019, it was 110 billion. And in 2020, it was 132 billion. So uh, as the company keeps growing, it needs more and more in capital. So for example, in the case of uh, Home Depot, uh, the, the, 
because the company is growing it's it's selling more and more stuff and uh, because it has to sell more and more stuff uh, it needs to stock more and more uh, stuff on its uh, in, in its stores and so on um, and uh, that that is inventory so home depot may need more and more in inventory and all the cash that is required to go and buy that inventory the owners of home depot cannot take the cash out of the company uh, because this cash is needed to go and buy inventory which is going to be sold in the future and so on so there is this very important distinction um, between earnings and cash flows earnings are uh, uh, reported earnings are what the company makes every year but then part of those earnings need to be reinvested back into the company uh, in home depot's case to acquire more inventory and and so on so only the remaining uh, can be uh, extracted out of home depot uh by the owners or the shareholders of the company so uh in order to figure out how much of this 13 billion can actually be extracted out uh by the owners uh, we have to look at the uh, cash flow statement of home depot and uh, sorry this is the statement of shareholders equity and this this is the statement of uh, cash flows so uh, as you can see uh, the statement of cash flows it starts with this 13 billion in reported earnings uh that that the company had um now um it it turns out that uh, of of this 13 billion dollars uh they they what what happens is um um you, you have to calculate something called uh, the free cash flow or uh, owners earnings of of this uh company free cash flow is a little simpler to calculate than owners earnings um so the the way we calculate uh, free cash flow is simply to take the uh, cash from operations which is about 18.8 billion dollars and subtract out the the capex which is uh, 2.4 billion dollars so it's like 18.8 billion dollars is the uh, total amount of cash that the company took in and uh, 2.4 billion dollars is what the company had to reinvest uh, back into its uh, business Uh, so if you if you take this 18.8 billion uh which is provided by operations and subtract out this uh, 2.4 uh, billion you you uh get something uh, of the order of uh, let me see uh you get something like 16.4 billion dollars and uh, this this 16.4 billion dollars is something like a free cash flow uh for the company so home depot in in home depot's case uh the the reported earnings are only 12.8 billion dollars but uh it looks like owners can actually take 16.4 billion dollars out out of the company and for a for a retailer it, it's actually very very rare that uh, uh you know uh, ca- cash flows exceed um uh, uh reported earnings but in in home depot's case that that definitely seems to be the case um at, at least uh at a, at a very cursory um glance at the financial statements this this is what seems to be the case uh now of course all the 16.4 billion was not given to the owners uh in in 2020 for example uh they they used about uh, 8 billion dollars uh, over here to go and acquire uh, some other company and then uh, they they used um, uh, uh, some of it to um, go and buy back stock in the company and 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 so on um but the the rest were given out to uh, owners uh, in the form of dividends and and things like that so um the, i i guess the key concept to understand here is uh, what is the relationship between 
how much cash uh, the company says it earned on its income statement and how much cash can actually be taken out of the company by the owners each year. Uh, so so uh, th these are the broad kinds of things I, I look for when, when going through the 10K of a company. I love it. I love it how you tie in the story from balance sheet to income statement and then to the cash flow and then all these numbers now make sense uh, to someone who is listening to it to kind of like follow the numbers sort of like to figure out actually whether this is a strong company or not. A really, really interesting way of looking at it. And it reduces the amount of sort of intimidation these numbers have so because you know what you're looking for. So really, really appreciate this. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I mean, that was really the most important reason we wanted to have you on this uh, YouTube video today. Um, but maybe kind of a wrap up, we're already past our like 30 minutes. So maybe we wrap up in terms of, um, have you ever seen, we sort of talked about uh, companies um, having fraudulent, like fluffing up the numbers, but have you ever seen come across any crazy examples of companies actually fluffing up their numbers and fluffing up their 10Ks that you were so surprised to see um, in, in sort of like your history of like digging deep into 10Ks? Uh, well, so that, there are uh, conservative ways of accounting for things and not so conservative ways of uh, accounting for uh, things. And um, so I don't know if um, it would rise to the level of fraud or anything like that, but there are often um, uh, certain things in the, in the 10K uh, that I would probably account for in a slightly different way um, and so on. So for example, uh, typically when you study companies that have, uh, that pay out a lot of stock-based compensation every year, mm -hmm. uh, what happens is uh, there are many large companies that pay out a lot of uh, stock-based compensation, but at the same time, they're also uh, buying back stock. So sometimes what they say is we, we spent uh, like $10 billion uh, buying back stock this year or some, something like that. Um, and then you go and look at the actual number of shares that, uh, that have uh, reduced. And uh, the, the reduction in share count is definitely not uh, what $10 billion would have bought that year. Uh, the, the reduction is much, much smaller. And that's because uh, while they are buying back uh, all the stock, they are also uh, issuing stock and giving, giving that stock to employees as stock-based compensation. Right. And uh, th things like this uh, become fairly evident once you study the 10K. And uh, th there are um, several companies that, uh, that do things like this. This is not fraud or anything like that, but, but still when a company uh, says we returned X dollars to uh, shareholders, uh, it, it seems a little bit like uh, puffing up their chest and saying <laughs> we returned X dollars when it's actually not X dollars that are, that are going into shareholders pocket yeah. and, and, and so on. So, so I, I like to um, generally um, look at the numbers and uh, take the numbers as, uh, as sort of a one data point, but also try to make broad sense of it. And if I don't quite agree with the way the company accounts for certain things, I try to substitute in my own kind of accounting for, for these things, just to see whether uh, the company uh, still makes sense to me as an investor. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I, I mean, especially in tech sector, what you said is specifically on stock-based compensation is that's been 
it's been an issue for a long time. I, th I think they got a lot better uh, over the years, but at the beginning, there was a lot of these sort of like a stock-based compensation challenges, sort of like hiding behind the, those numbers uh, in the tech sector. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, we're sort of out of time. I really want to do more of this, but I want to just wrap up being respectful of your time. Um, so if people want to find your work, uh, we're going to put the link to it and all that good stuff, but maybe it would be better to hear from you. Where can they follow you? Where can follow your work? Where can they learn more about what you do and read your content? Uh, sure. If people want to follow me, uh, the best place to do that is on Twitter. Uh, I'm available uh, at 10K Diver on Twitter. and uh, my my DMs are open, so uh, I, I try to be good about uh, uh, replying to DMs, but I'm not always successful because I get a lot of them. Um, but I do try to get to <laughs> uh, reply to all the messages that I receive, uh, although it may take a while before I do that. <laughs> Yeah, um, we would be. Uh, we 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 can tell everybody that we we were one of those DMs, and you were so courageous with uh, your time and your journey on this podcast. So you're definitely one of the good ones that who respond to their DMs and actually share their knowledge uh, openly and freely with everybody on Twitter. So we appreciate for what you do on Twitter. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for doing this, and uh, hopefully we can have you back on the show very soon. Absolutely, would love to.